Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody this morning? Good, good. Uh, I know I, for one, am better than I deserve. Uh, my name is Ron. For any of you that uh, don't know, I'm one of the elders here at Northwood Community Church. Let me just say that uh, I am both blessed and grateful uh, to be with y'all this morning, uh, to gather, to be able to praise and, and worship our wonderful Lord and, and Savior Jesus Christ. And as we said today, uh, we are going to be continuing our study in Acts today, going through Acts 17, 1 through 15. And this passage continues to recount the missions of Paul, Silas, and Timothy as written by Luke and picks up shortly after them being released from prison in Thyteria as they travel both to Thessalonica and Berea. And as I just mentioned, this is on the heels of of them being slandered, beaten, and imprisoned in the town of Thyatira for the preaching of the gospel. The simple act of staying firm in their faith and bring the good news of Christ. Now, many were saved while the apostles were, were there, including the guard in charge of watching them in prison, as well as his entire family. But Many were not swayed by the teachings of Paul, and out of jealousy and greed, they quickly stirred up the crowds to turn against Paul and his companions. Now, thankfully, through the power of Christ, they were freed and were able to spend some time at one of the new believers' house, Lydia, uh, to be of encouragement to the brethren before they got on their way. Uh, Again, keeping ahead of, of those angry mobs of people that were set on running them out of town or worse. So they set out on foot towards Thessalonica, which was about a two and a half days walk. And as we will pick up their journey from there, uh, as they make their way to Thessalonica and Berea, we are beginning to see a familiar pattern to their missions. Come to a new town, quickly begin to preach and teach the gospel within the synagogues and the surrounding areas, blessed to see many come to Christ through the gospel message, befriending many of those, encouraging each other in the word, only to just as quickly have many others still that are unwilling to hear this message of salvation, ruled by their own preferences and jealousy, who then just as quickly stir up as many in the crowds of unbelievers and evildoers to defame Paul, Silas, and Timothy in their preaching and teaching, looking to either run them out of town, beat and stone them, or as we just said, imprison them. Thankfully, to have the newly made brothers and sisters that they've come to or come for quickly guide them out of town and on their way to the next. And big spoiler alert here, that is exactly what is happening in Thessalonica and Berea as we read through this. Very quickly, uh, change of of pace. Um, How many here have heard the, the phrase, death and taxes? Okay, a few of us, yeah. It's, it's a phrase that has been used in jest for many years referring to the thought of the only two certainties or constants that we can expect in life. Or, if you are of a certain age and grew up here like I did, it was amended to say, death, taxes, and the bucks losing. <laughs> Thankfully, while that last one has fluctuated a little bit in past years, maybe not so much in the upcoming years, but um, that has been there. Now, all joking aside, there are always some sort of constants that we have in life depending on what season of life we're in. As children, it seems like mom and dad are constantly telling us to pick up our room or or do, do our chores. As we get older, it seems like there is constantly a stack of homework 
or that next big test that we need to be preparing for. Even older still, while we make strides in the constancy of an ever-growing workload as we are given more and more responsibilities by our employers, if and when we are, are blessed to have children as new parents, we constantly feel exhausted from lack of sleep. And when we reach that wonderful age of retirement, it seems like we are constantly going from one doctor's appointment to the next. <laughs> now, of course, I, I may be exaggerating just a bit here, but my point is that there are always some sort of ever-present constants in our lives. And this is what we are seeing in the lives of Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they continue their missions throughout the lands. And I believe this to be true in our lives as Christians as well today. And as we read through Acts 17, 1 through 15 together, we will see that this passage displays three constants or consistencies that believers can count on, will see while living out their Christian lives. Three constants that believers can count on while living out their Christian lives. But before we go any further into the scripture, would you please pray with me? Father God, uh, we are so grateful, so thankful, and some, so humbled to be able to have the opportunity to gather here together today, to be able to be in your word, to lift our hands in praise and celebration of your name, Lord. We ask that as we dig into your scriptures today, Lord, that uh, you would allow us to uh, drop any uh, distractions we may have or, or anything that we bring in with personal preference uh, or, or otherwise, Lord, so we could be uh, completely submitted to, to your word and, and the things that you are looking to be able to hide away in our heart today, Lord. We love you, and we pray this all in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you could please uh, open up your Bible to uh, Acts 17. I guess it's uh, three quarters of the way, maybe a little bit further uh, in the Bible. In mine, it is page 923. I believe in the community Bibles that we have, it's page 926. Uh, If you don't have either one of those, (laughs) I'll give you a minute to find them uh, on your own. And and once you are uh, there, again, I do ask that you just take a moment, uh, clear your mind of anything that is a cause of distraction, and prepare your heart for what God has intended for you this morning. Okay, everybody ready? Okay, (laughs) great. So uh, just as a note uh, this morning, as um, I'm beginning to read today, I'll be reading both the scripture of of the apostles' time in Thessalonica and Berea simultaneously. Uh, Because while the actions and reactions of the separate peoples may differ in some ways, and and we will talk about that some later, it is the parallel constants in the stories, the apostles' lives, the Christian life we are focusing on today. And, And the constants that we are focusing on today are the significance of the unchanging preached gospel of Christ, the constancy of opposition to the gospel and its believers, and solidarity amongst Christians through the gospel throughout any and all circumstances. And the first one of which is the significance of the unchanging or never changing preached gospel of Christ. The significance of the unchanging preached gospel of Christ. 
I'm going to go a little off script here. Um, and anybody that knows me um, knows that this is not a norm as I prepare, I hope, diligently to preach each time that I do. Um, and I script everything out. Um, I have lots of stuff here that I take notes on. Uh, Mitch makes fun of me because I still actually write things. I don't use a computer. I print things out and I have everything here. So the fact that uh, I'm, I'm kind of going off script here is, is um, certainly unnerving for me um, and, and, a, and a little odd. But um, I, I want to say that I don't believe or prescribe in the thought of coincidence. Um, at least not the whole thing of, you know, random acts of things that bring us back to one thing or one thing that keeps coming up to be able to tie something together. I'm more prescribed to the fact that if there's something that keeps coming up that's bringing us back to one thing, that's something that God is laying on our hearts and and wants us to be able to learn and to be able to know. And, And just as I was preparing to come in this morning, this kind of dawned on me thinking about this, that there's, there's, no coincidence in what's been happening over the last little bit. Last week, as Mitch preached the word out of Acts 16, um, some of the themes that he, he preached about in Acts 16 ties exactly into what we are going to be learning about today. Some of the scripture that he used in, in, in uh, last week's sermon is exactly the same scripture I'm using today, even though I had prepared this two weeks ahead of time and had no idea what he was doing. I don't think that it's any coincidence that we who are in CBR are reading through these exact same things right now and are preaching it from the Sunday pulpit. Um, So I I just think that um, this is definitely something that, that God is working on our hearts. There's something here that he wants us to pause, take time, and really learn about and, and understand what he's doing. Or it could be that he really needs to work in my heart more than anything else, which <laughs> is, a, is a definite truth there. So anyway, a little bit off script, but uh, I just wanted to be able to share that some. Um, if you could, uh, read with me verses 1 through 4 and, and then 10 and 12. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. On the 10, it says, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So here we see in both instances that immediately upon arriving in Thessalonica and Berea, Paul and Silas went directly to the synagogues to preach and teach the good news of the gospel. And while the response from each group of people was different, which is evident by Luke's describing the people of Berea as as much more noble-minded and eager, which is to say that they carried themselves maybe in a little bit more righteous manner, examining the scriptures daily, what this contrast of response does is remind us again that it is not the response of the message that is the focus but the message itself that carries the significance. Hence, immediately, the first thing they do upon arriving in town is go to the synagogues and the places of prayer to preach and teach the gospel message. 
for as long as it takes, it says. For three weeks, it says in Thessalonica, daily reading of the scriptures to see whether these things were true in Berea. And what exactly is the significance of the preached gospel message? Well, quite simply, it is the greatest love story in all of history. It is the love of God that he has for his greatest creation, us. That while we were enemies, sinners, in complete rebellion of him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to live a perfect life and die as man, only to be brought back to life through the resurrection to be the perfect sacrifice and substitution for us so that our submission to him as Lord and Savior through repentance, we may have eternal life with him. Thus, making the hearing of and believing in the preached word of the gospel the most significant decision that one of us, any one of us, child, teen, or adult, will ever make in our lives. And if you're hearing this today, and, and this is a subject that you have not wrestled with yet, I, I plead with you. Take the time to work through the necessary questions and concerns you may have by getting into the Word, having discussions with those you know to be believers, whether that be someone that is here with you today or, or reaching out to one of our pastors after service. But please, even if you don't understand this whole gospel thing that we're talking about, please understand its significance in our lives and act upon this unchanging truth. In, in John 14, 6, Jesus tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Never changing. Always the one and only truth. In a fallen world filled with flawed, broken, sinful people, ones that are full of, of self-worth, and temporal ambitions, willing to tell you just a little lie, a half-truth, or blatantly, knowingly deceive just to get their way or to get ahead, we can cling to and take refuge in the one and only never-changing truth, Jesus Christ. Our anchor in this life that never moves away from us, Never changes no matter the circumstances or the newest fads or the TikTok sensations or broadcasters' opinions. His never-changing love for us is what gives us our great hope, knowing that the truth, the gospel, conquers all. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And it is this everlasting truth and the significance that it bears eternal life in his presence through his grace is why we here as a Northwood family strive to be a gospel-centered community. We understand that the gospel is the good news of what God has done to establish his kingdom and to deal with our sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel teaches us that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dare believe but can be more loved and accepted than ever dare hope. And it is because of this grace we strive to have that level of significance envelop 
every aspect of our lives and, and why we as a gospel-centered community invite non-believers to receive God's grace by repenting of their sin and trusting Jesus in all aspects of their lives, thus changing their hearts forever. And again, I say to you, if this describes you, if you now know that you are in need of God's grace, in need of admitting your sin and repenting it, laying it at his feet, I do invite you again, come see me after today's service or speak to any one of our members so we can better discuss what this all means. But this message of love through his grace and our repentance is not just for the non-believer. As if once we begin that relationship with God by grace through faith, we, we then grow perfect and, and now serve God by our own works and efforts. Absolutely to the contrary. That same free gift of grace that was at work in us to rescue us from our sins and its penalty is now what also sustains us and changes us forever through the Holy Spirit residing in our heart. So just as much as we invite the non-Christian into this amazing transformation, we also strive to encourage each other to continually, continually repent of our sin and self-sufficiency. Instead, trusting in him who suffered and gave his life for us, looking to Jesus for our identity, our significance, being a living response to God's grace. So the first constant we have in the Christian life is significance of the unchanging preached gospel of Christ Jesus. And as we said earlier, its importance is directly hinged to its being never changing. But the response to the gospel can and will often be varied and different from person to person. Which brings us to our second constant we can expect in the Christian life. The constancy of opposition to the gospel and its believers. The constancy of opposition to the gospel and its believers. Read with me uh, verses 5 through 9 and then 13. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. Jesus, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And then when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released him. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So Paul Silas and Timothy come into Thessalonica and Berea, and is, as is their custom, they immediately begin to preach and teach the word, and through the grace of the Holy Spirit, many see the significance of the gospel and are saved. However, now, as we read these verses, we see an entirely different response to the gospel and its preachers. Many others are not receptive to the idea of giving up their lives for the one true king. 
having to admit their selfishness and sin, and it says quickly become jealous, forming a mob, setting the city in an uproar, even attacking the house of Jason, a believer who graciously allowed them to be able to stay with him while in Thessalonica. And and remember, this is on the heels of them being imprisoned for their boldness of faith just a chapter earlier. And even a bit earlier than that, in chapter 14 of Acts, while in Iconium, it says, the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. We see this with, with Peter in Acts, where he was, he was beaten and, and slandered, all the way back to Stephen, who was stoned and beaten and killed because of his bold faith. Now, I know it's easy to take these and, and many other passages in the Bible at simple face value and think to ourselves, I've never had an angry mob of people hunting me down from town to town, wanting to disparage me, slander me, beat me, or imprison me. And I, for one, am extremely thankful to the Lord that none of us has had to experience or endure this type of opposition in our lives. But I would ask you to look at this a little deeper in its context. One not of simple physical opposition, but what Scripture describes as having to endure various trials of many kinds. In Luke 21, 16 through 19, Jesus describes one form of opposition like this. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet, not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And Ephesians 6.12 describes opposition in another way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, well, no. We don't have an angry mob of people under the portico outside right now waiting to be able to slander, beaten us, or imprison us. I think we can all say in agreement that we absolutely do have spiritual forces working against us in opposition each and every day. How many of us can say that we have or know someone who has lost or broken relationships because of our faith? How many of us turn on the evening news or scroll through our daily feed to see direct opposition or hatred towards a God-fearing community that stands firm in our beliefs of traditional marriage and against abortion, that feels a burden for the lost and a willingness to show love to them even in the midst of their slanderous accounts towards us as intolerant or bigoted? Northwood, opposition is very real. And the enemy is at work constantly in this world, whether by direct human hands opposed to the gospel or creating division within our own communities through false teachings or or taking our eyes off of Jesus and placing them on personal preferences or selfish ambitions. Even allowing the enemy a foothold in our minds by our lack of repentance and misguided thoughts and actions that then creates barriers with even our most trusted relationships, including Christ. Yes, opposition can and will manifest itself in many, many ways. It is inevitable. It is constant. It is something we must be on the alert for. First Peter 5, 8 and 9 warns, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. 
your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So for us as Western culture Christians to say we don't face opposition like the apostles or or many of our dear brothers and sisters scattered throughout the world have faced is, is certainly easy to say at face value. But I would challenge each and every one of us to be on guard, on the alert, as 1 Peter tells us, because while the degree of opposition we all face may be different, the root of all opposition we all face and the intent of that opposition is exactly the same. To drive people away from the good news of the gospel. To take their eyes off Jesus. There will always be opposition to the gospel and its believers. But what else does First Peter tell us? But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Northwood, this is of great encouragement to us and gives us our third constant that we should have in our Christian life. Solidarity amongst Christians through the gospel throughout any and all circumstances. Solidarity amongst Christians through the gospel through any and all circumstances. Read with me a portion of verse 10 and then also 14 and 15, please. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Then in 14 it says, Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. So we see in verse 10 that the believers at Thessalonica realized that the situation there was escalating quickly. As the the mob of angry people grew and began to ignite to the point of dragging Jason out of his home looking for Paul and his companions. So they immediately help them to escape this growing opposition and flee to Berea where they begin the process all over again. And again, as many were saved, also tempers of jealousy began to flare and the mob came for them again. This time, when leaving Berea, the brethren flee, but this time it says as far as the sea, all the way to Athens. They knew that Paul needed to get far away from the evildoers. And so he did, roughly 141 miles away. Now, in our modern times with the invention of cars, buses, planes, and the like, 141 miles doesn't seem like that's much. Just a quick shot down I-75 for like four or five hours. <laughs> but, but when your primary mode of transportation was on foot, that's a, that's a long haul. Now, it's important to see here is that these brethren did not just simply send him off with a hearty handshake, a bologna sandwich, and a bottle of water. (laughs) No, verse 15 tells us, now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. I don't want us to miss the significance of, of this sacrifice in this. These people that Paul presumably just met in a very short period of time that, that only share one common bond, the gospel were willing to travel across land and sea for whatever was at least days, but probably more likely was weeks 
leaving behind all their daily responsibilities of, of work, family, etc., with the fair understanding that by their simple association to Paul, they too could come under some form of opposition or persecution. This is an act of truly loving others as yourself. I ask you, Northwood, how are our relationships with each other? Ones only forged by the gospel message. Are we truly living life with each other? Carrying each other's burdens? Celebrating each other's joys and triumphs? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do we find ourselves putting up barriers towards each other, not wanting to share too much or, or, or let anyone get too close? Are we offstandish like talking to the bagger at Publix, saying hello once a week while engaging in some surfacy awkward chit-chat? Now, before you answer that to yourselves too quickly, let me just say that we as elders are extremely encouraged by the amount and level of engagement in each other's lives within our Northwood family. And not only that we see, but are absolutely blessed to be an active part of. Countless stories of you brothers and sisters gathering together for for lunches after service, opening up your homes for families to fellowship and break bread, finding the time to meet for that cup of coffee just so you can be able to chat and see what's going on, providing time and service to help in each other's needs whether it's a simple home project or, or providing a meal or offering childcare, four-legged or two, <laughs> fervently lifting each other up in prayer and, and a willingness to truly listen to each other, offering up wisdom and, and biblical advice where it's needed, all the while having deep, fruitful conversation, sharing life's experiences with each other so that we may be able to come alongside each other just as we read in Hebrews. Church, all this I'm describing, this love for each other, this willingness to to serve in any way possible is what solidarity amongst Christians through the gospel in any and all circumstances looks like. And it is this constant within Christian life that, that we as one body hold fast to as part of our values. A reconciled community, demonstrating that Christ alone unites us across any and all barriers that could divide us. A redemptive community, one body, being transformed by the redemptive power of the gospel in a transparent and gracious community. So today, we've considered the three constants that we will face in in living out our Christian walk the significance of the unchanging preached gospel of Christ Jesus, the constancy of opposition to the the gospel and its believers, and and finally, the solidarity amongst Christians through the gospel in any and all circumstances. Northwood, God is our great hope. He is the standard to which everything is measured because he is the one and only great and unchanging truth. And we as believers can rest easy in his arms, knowing that he has already conquered every and all opposition to his kingdom. 
We can take great joy and give encouragement to each other because he had a plan from the very beginning and that plan included all of us so that we would have all of us. When we as true believers in Christ are living out the Christian life, we can band together as one even in the midst of opposition resting in the great hope of God. In a few minutes, we will begin to take communion together uh, as another outward expression of that solidarity in the gospel. But before we do that, please take a moment to consider these questions and and lay them on your heart as, as you continue through today and into your week ahead. How does knowing that God is never changing give you comfort and strength? How does knowing that we face daily opposition from the enemy allow you to prepare for these trials? Who are you grateful for in your life because, they're, because of their selfless love and grace? And who might you come alongside this week in selfless service to help meet their needs? Let's take a, a moment to reflect on these. Father God, we again thank you and and, and praise your name for the love that you have for us, Lord, a love that was there before the beginning of time, a love that was shown by your son Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross and raising again so that we could have that opportunity of eternal life with you, Lord. We thank you that in a ever-changing world, one filled with uh, so many temporal distractions and, and veers off course, that you are the one unchanging truth in this word, world, Lord. You give us your word to anchor down, to come to each and every moment of each and every day to truly know what is truth. We thank you that you've given us this unchanging word so that we can be an encouragement to each other, that we can be able to bring your gospel word to those that need to be able to hear it. And that's all of us. <laughs> People that have accepted you as Lord and Savior and those that have not yet understood what that means, Lord. We ask that you continue to work in our hearts daily, either moving us closer to accepting you as Lord and Savior or continuing to embolden us by our deepening relationship with you so that we can be better servants of your word, Lord. We love you. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen.